0: Welcome to
1: First Bite, our Detroit Lions preview podcast. It is week two, Seattle Seahawks edition of First Bite. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer over at PrideOfDetroit.com. You can find me at Detroit Online. With me, as always, for this preview podcast is Senior Editor of Pride of Detroit slash Rock God slash Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. How are we doing, Ryan? I love all the titles.
2: Thanks for keeping it consistent. Uh, I am really excited for what is essentially Revenge Week, right, Jeremy?
1: Yes. Uh, in fact, if you if you were a POD Direct subscriber, you know how much I do not like this next opponent. But I will say I do very much like this week's guest. Good to differentiate there. <laughs> nice, nice save, Jeremy. <laughs> he is the producer over at our friends at Field Goals. He is at Mookie Under no underscore, sorry, at Mookie Alexander on Twitter slash X. Mookie Alexander is here. Mookie, welcome back, buddy.
3: It's great to be back, Jeremy and Ryan. Um, I'm very much looking forward to um pretty much every other game except ours this week. <laughs> Chief no. Blackboard looks fun. I mean, I mean, Dolphins, Patriots, that should be awesome. Um, our game. Um, yeah, very, very different story, different feeling. See, I, I think.
1: Mookie, I feel like you did this last time you were on the show. I feel like you did this last year where you're, you're like, oh, woe was me? The Seahawks are going to suck. And then they come out and win a 48 to 45 game, which was mostly pretty fun. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you raise our hopes again, only for the Lions to lose a six straight game against the Seahawks.
3: That is true. I
1: mean, the the last
3: time was the um, was the 2012 game. I think it was Russell's rookie season, yeah. And Stafford just he 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 dominated the, the Legion of Boom, Prime Legion of Boom. I remember Titus yeah. Young having the game of his life oh, wow. against uh, Seattle. So yeah, you I
1: remember think. more about Titus Young than most Lions fans at this point.
3: Oh yeah, when it comes to like random receivers <laughs> having career days against the Seahawks, it's like it's, like, it's a pathetic memory.
1: Fair enough. Um, well, we're gonna dig into this year's game. Um, and and it's an interesting one because it does it almost feels like it was the, the teams are almost in a similar spot in terms of where they were last year, where the Seahawks again, getting – I think they were one and two last year going into the game. The Lions were obviously 0 and three. Um, but there was some optimism with with, with how they were playing. Whoa, They'd, whoa, whoa, Jeremy. Lions what? won a game. They beat the commanders. You're you're right. They were yes. That's right. They were one in one and two. It's, both teams one and two in that game. Mm-hmm. But I know. I know lines were just coming off that Vikings game where it's like it was a letdown game, but you felt pretty good about how they're playing. It should games. have been two and one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, um, let's let's jump into Seahawks offense first. Lions defense, and I think we have to start like we did last week with some of the guys that aren't going to be playing in this game. Um, looks like the the Seahawks are are going to be missing their starting left and right tackle. Uh, they're signing guys off their retirement beds uh, to, to help them out. So Mookie, how big of a deal is it that, that they're missing both offensive tackles to start this one?
3: Yeah, pretty much worst case scenario with the way that Rams game went. It's like if they had lost, but no injuries were, were, were had, then we go, yeah, that's an annoyance. Tired of losing to lose into the Rams that way. But at least everybody's healthy and back for next week. Instead, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, those are the two very good rookie tackles um, from from the 2022 class and now crosses week to week with a toe injury um, Thursday practice hasn't concluded yet so um, I, I doubt that he's practicing today he didn't practice on Wednesday so if he's not practicing today almost nailed on he's not playing Sunday Abe Lucas won't be practicing or doing anything for a while because they placed him in an IR with um, a known knee issue that he's had um, maybe dating back to college, but it's something that the organization has been aware of. Now, I think he only missed one game last year, but knee soreness, whenever Pete Carroll says something on the optimistic side, just add several weeks to it and assume <laughs> it's the worst-case scenario. So he's on injured reserve, so that means he's going to miss not just the next four weeks. He's going to miss the first game after the bye week, so he's gone for a while. Uh, the replacements, Stone Forsythe at left tackle, he, he wasn't very good, but he was somehow better than Jake Curran who was an unmitigated disaster? He played uh, 11 pass blocking snaps and gave up four pressures and a sack. So it, it it was rotten to watch current play, and that's kind of the issue with the Seahawks offensive line. Is as good as the starting lineup looks, uh, which I haven't said too much about the Seahawks starting O line in a long time. The depth is really not there, either tackle spot, which is why Jason Peters rolled out of bed. He was about to apply for Social Security, and there he goes. He's (laughs) going to get a call-up. He might even start this weekend. And from what I recall, Peters wasn't too bad doing uh, emergency duty for Dallas last year when Tyron Smith uh, went down with his torn hamstring. But ultimately, it's a a major loss to the Seahawks' offensive line because the interior of the O-line is still the question mark whereas the tackles you felt more comfortable with. Mm. And now that both of them are gone, for, for Lucas, it's at least a month, but for Cross, an indeterminate amount of time, it's really going to hamper this offense in, in just the worst ways imaginable. And, look, we know that injuries are going to happen to any team. That's why kind of all these preseason predictions are, are, are silly. But to have it happen to two of your absolute most important players on offense who aren't the skill position guys, it's a real, real hammer blow to the Seahawks.
2: Yeah, hey Mookie, the uh, water's warm. You can get in with, you know, us and the rest of the league in terms of tackle depth. You know what I mean? Like after your starters, it all falls off a cliff, man. So it, it's tough though. Like you said, I, I think those guys are so critical to what the what the Seahawks are able to do up front. So can you tell me, like, watching last week's game against the Rams, how much different did their offense look, and and, and what were they what were they trying to do? with those guys who were clearly limited at tackle in, in current Forsyth, like what did their offense look like after those guys went down Cross and Lucas?
3: Well, what happened in the second half, Lucas went away from the, went out of the game at the end of the first half. So he didn't come out for the, to, to start the second half and Seattle went green out. Cross got injured, I believe on the first possession of the second half. And the only first down that they picked up after halftime was on a pass interference penalty. Everything else was, was immediate punt. And they finished with 12 yards of offense. And nine of those came on the last play of the game when it was just handing it to Zach Charbonnet, um, who Michigan fans should know very well. Zach Charbonnet got nine yards on the final play of the game. That was just to run the clock out because the game was over. So that was their worst showing in terms of yards in a half since the infamous 1979 game against the Rams, in which they had minus seven yards for the entire game. So not even the 1992 Seahawks, which are widely regarded as the worst offense in NFL history, or at least passing offense, not even they were as bad as Seattle was uh, in the second half against the Rams. And a lot of it was because of the tackles. Just the pressures that they gave up were too easy. Um, they, they went away from the running game, essentially. So they could never get into a rhythm. It, it was a horrible combination of the defense was allowing these long drives. So the offense had to make the most of their limited possessions. And instead, they made the absolute least of it. So Curran it was, was just really, really bad. And then Forsyth, he's been a reserve for a reason. They drafted him, drafted him in the sixth round, but I don't think he's really quick enough to deal with speedier edge rushers. And outside Aaron Donald, it's not like that Rams defense is just loaded with pass rushers the way they were in previous seasons, whether it's Robert Quinn or Leonard Floyd or Chris, uh, Chris Long, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's a pretty tame defensive line. You got like Byron Young and Ernest Jones from linebacker, was was a pretty effective guy, but they just couldn't cope. They, they couldn't pass protects uh, on a consistent basis after halftime. So uh, I think the results uh, spoke for themselves as far as what the Seahawks offense looks like, a- admittedly on an emergency basis, but what it looks like when you have backup tackles going up against first stringers on, on the Rams side.
1: Well, you just mentioned it there. It was an emergency situation. They obviously didn't have a full week to prepare, knowing that their offensive tackles were going to get hurt. Now they do. Is there at least a little bit of confidence that maybe they come out with a little bit more spark or they they come out with a game plan to, you know, mitigate some of the disasters that might happen at, at offensive tackle? Because this offense has a lot of weapons and it seems like there's, there's a way to figure it out, you know, knowing seven days in advance that you're not going to have your starting offensive tackles.
3: Yeah, that that should provide some solace that they're going to be practicing with the first team as opposed to when Cross and Lucas would be there. So you've got that extra week to prepare. Uh, Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, and Pete Carroll and Andy Dickerson, the offensive line coach, they would figure out how can we best protect two potential liabilities. And I'll add Peters in there. That's a a possible third because the odds of him being ready to come in off off semi-retirement and just ball out right away and look like his his prime Hall of Fame self they're pretty remote, so uh, th- th- you can work your way around an offensive line missing some some key starters. And the Seahawks should know very well about this history because Russell Okung, for the life of him, could never stay healthy in right. Seattle. Neither could Max Unger, the, the center, right before they traded him for Jimmy Graham to New Orleans. And, of course, Unger was a beacon of health in New Orleans. Um, uh, even in the Super Bowl season, they had the most expensive offensive line in the league, and we hardly saw them together because Okung was hurt. Uh, J.R. Sweezy was hurt. Unger was hurt. James Carpenter was hurt. They were running so many different offensive line combinations. And as a result, yes, the offense struggled badly at times. Russell Wilson got sacked a ton, even more than he usually does. But it's something that Pete Carroll should be familiar with, is is how to make the most out of a a very difficult situation. So maybe more play-action bootlegs, maybe more getting Geno out of the pocket, um, more quick throws, you know, get the ball out in two seconds or less. If it's just an obvious straight back, uh, straight drop back situation where you're asking Curran and Forsyth or Curran and Peters or whomever to, to block like like the cross and Lucas, it's a disaster waiting to happen. So I think that some adjustments can be made and they're, they're probably not going to leave. Curran, and Forsyth on an island. In other words, we're going to have more running backs and pass protection, more uh, of the tight ends chipping, whether it's Noah Fance or Kobe Parkinson or Will Disley. It's not impossible. It just looks bleak because we know the Seahawks' history with, with their starting offensive line often has had troubles over the years. So when the backups come in, everybody are just sweating bullets.
2: Uh, so, Mookie, in terms of the Seahawks and their identity on offense, right? And, and I know it's going to obviously, t- to your point that you're making, right, it, it might look a little bit different with uh, with some different offensive tackles in there. Is their identity still, they want to run the football? Like, is, is that what the Seahawks want to do? I mean, they keep on spending early day two picks on running backs. So that has to be the case, right? Oh, you really want to get into a conversation about
3: using <laughs> the capital on running backs, huh? <laughs> no. Nope. We'll save that for a little later when we're talking about the Lions offense. <laughs> um, sure. So- Yes, they still want to run the ball, but they don't necessarily want to be run first, because last year with Gino, the expectation was, all right, Russell Wilson's gone. Pete has won the war. So that means we're <laughs> going to see the Seahawks revert to an offense that would look something straight out of black and white television. But instead, they were one of the more pass heavy teams on neutral downs. So they trusted Gino to, to sling the rock around. Against the Rams, I think part of the reason they went away from Kenneth Walker was the fact that they just kept going three and out because they only had three meaningful possessions in the second half. And they ran Walker on first down in the first possession. They ran Walker on back-to-back plays, I believe, on the second possession. And then that was literally the the extent of his involvement after halftime. I think he had a catch for minus one yard. But they, they, they couldn't run the ball in the second half largely because they barely had time with the ball. Uh, In the first half, they were running it reasonably well. Kenneth Walker um, was was able to either stay patient and follow his blockers or make something creative and bounce to the outside because the Rams weren't setting the edge particularly well. So they they had some success, there. they just couldn't sustain it. What was interesting to me, and I'll I'll shout out uh, my field goals colleague Tyler Olson, is that even on potential running downs, they were still throwing it. So third and one on the opening drive, they went straight drop back and completed a pass to Tyler Lockett. Next third down is a third and two. Again, an area and was a part of the field where if you didn't get it, you could go for it. Um, Again, a straight drop pack. I believe an empty backfield. Mm -hmm. And it was a completion to DK Metcalf for 20-something yards. Um, But those were their only third down conversions of the game. And the the running game just disappeared along with the the entirety of the offense of the second half. If they can possess the ball longer, I think they're going to try and run it more against Detroit not because of any potential weakness in the Lions' run defense, but to protect Geno Smith, essentially, because he's going to be pressured a lot, and he was pressured a ton, I believe, on 47% of his dropbacks, which was one of the highest in the league. The only reason it wasn't the highest is because everybody watched the Cowboys-Giants game on Sunday night.
2: <laughs> Did we? Mookie, I think we turned it off at a certain point. I think mean, we watched it. We no, Nobody ever said we watched it through. It's just we saw it
3: like <laughs> yeah. in minutes, and we knew the rest of the story. But, That's right.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit more about that Seahawks passing game um, outside of maybe the, the pressures that the lines might regenerate against Geno Smith. Obviously, one of the most feared, I would say, group of receivers. But let's talk about the new guys. Let's talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, seemed like he had a limited role in week one. Is he essentially the the slot guy? And and are, are we just going to see him in a limited role? Or, or is it a Jameer Gibbs situation where it's like, let's ease him in week one, then we're going to increase his role. And is he healthy? And is he healthy?
3: Yes, that's the important point is I felt like they eased him into the lineup because of his injury and subsequent surgery. So it it was impressive that he even made it to week one because the Dallas Cowboys preseason game. So the second week of preseason, he had a long catch and run um, off a play action shot from Drew Locke. And then if you watch very closely, the way he falls, his, his left hand hits the turf pretty hard. Stats back and you can tell he's favoring it a little bit as he goes to the sideline. And then he doesn't get another snap and he probably won have because it's preseason. But it turns out there was a minor fracture in, in his wrist bone. So he needed surgery and the, the fear was that he would miss opening day, if not a couple more weeks. And instead, he didn't miss a practice. He was there right away, and yet he was still he still has protective wear, and he only had three catches. One was on a crossing route that set up Seattle's only touchdown, and it was one of those throws where that's why they drafted Smith and Jigba. Target in the slot can get to the middle of the field and and get some yards after catch. But his other two catches were what one yard a piece, and, and it was kind of like when Percy Harvin was here and Daryl Bevel seemingly only had like four plays for him, and everything was just horizontal. Um, so, and he also had a drop, but I think it wasn't a great pass, and the other bit was that risk. So giving it more time, I think Smith and Jigga is going to be a, a, a an important part of this offense because he he can take at least a defender away from doubling Metcalf or doubling Lockett. now, in this particular game, it, it just hardly anybody was getting open it, it, looking at the all twenty uh, two the rock combinations I felt were a problem. the middle of the field was very often not exploited. And on the defensive side, they were getting exploited like crazy. But dudes were just being locked down by the Rams, almost as if to say that Raheem Morris, the Rams defensive coordinator, knew what Seattle was going to run. Hmm. So there, there have to be some adjustments there. But we know at, at their very best, the Seahawks have got one of the best receiving duels in the league. I won't say the best receiving trio because Smith and Jigba has only played one game. But from what we've seen in preseason from Smith and Jigba, and through the training camp highlights, which everybody loves to overreact to, uh, Smith and Jigba can can really mesh well with with Geno, and also be that that key third receiver that the Seahawks have lacked over the years, including in the back end of the Russell Wilson years. Where my philosophy is, the top receiving groups in the league, your third best receiver is good enough to be in a pinch a second receiver or even a number one receiver you got that ceiling to be a wide receiver one or wide receiver two look at the Bengals. tyler boyd was once their number one receiver right. now there are two other guys and Jason higgins who are better than him he's their third option um but for seattle we've had jerron brown we've had david moore we've had a very faded brandon marshall didn't even last the season uh Marquise goodwin was all right last year but again his ceiling at this stage is pretty much wide receiver three the hope with smith and jibba is He's the number three option right now. He's going to be that slot guy. But a few years down the line, he could very well be the number one receiving option, or at least 1A and 1B with Metcalf as Tyler Lockett reaches the twilight of his career.
2: Jeremy, I just want to shout out Darryl Bevel. He usurped the awful leader that we will not name, but shout out Daryl Bevel.
1: Shout out Darryl Bevel. Uh, All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to flip the script here. We're going to talk about the Lions offense versus Seahawks defense, which to me is a much more fun conversation. So we'll get to that when we come back here on First Bite.
4: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: And we are back here on First Bite previewing Lions-Seahawks Week 2 with Mookie Alexander from fieldgoals.com. Mookie. Been an active offseason for the Seahawks on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm just going to start with kind of a basic question. Like, what are what were the most impactful moves at the line that the Seahawks made this offseason that could fix what was a very, very broken defense last year?
3: Well, I don't know if they fixed anything. And <laughs> if they did, they sure fooled me on week one. But <laughs> the, the the defensive line got overhauled. Yeah. And that meant a lot of people were let go. Quentin Jefferson, gone. Cap casualty goes to the New York Jets. Al Woods, cap casualty release. He's with the New York Jets as well. Shelby Harris, another cap casualty, part of the Russell Wilson trade. He's let go, goes to the Cleveland Browns. So that's three of your your, your top snap getters on the defensive line, all all going to other teams. So with Harris going, they got somebody else from Denver in free agency, Draymond Jones, to be that 3-4 DE. And it's a three year contract for up to 54 million. Now, if anybody's familiar with the Seahawks free agency history with Pete Carroll and John Schneider, at least, you know, since the 2011 CBA, because early on they were like splash signings like Sidney Rice and whatever. But since then they've been very willing to, to be bargain hunters, the second week of free agency, they don't make that big splash on day one or day two most of the time, but Jones was, was that guy and the Broncos, um, apparently we were not willing to to part with Jones in the Wilson trade, but they ended up letting him walk in free agency anyway. So Jones was pretty quiet in, in his debut, but the hope is that he can provide some uh, interior rush for, for the Seahawks because that's where they have just not been very good. And then in the secondary, Ryan Neal, the safety, he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They actually tendered him as a restricted free agent, and then they withdrew the tender, and that allowed him to be unrestricted. So Seattle instead signed Julian Love on a two-year contract. He was formerly with the New York Giants. And again, tough debut. He, he got beaten in coverage a couple of times. And he had the only pass breakup of the game for the Seahawks on 38 uh, attempts. But uh, he got beaten badly by Tyler Higbee for an explosive play down the field. But Love, even when Jamal Adams comes back, it's still going to be a regular part of the secondary. And then, of course, how can I leave out that Bobby Wagner is back? That's a pretty big deal. What, what What's old is new again, I guess, um, because they, they let Cody Barton walk in free agency to go to the commanders. So Wagner, after he got released by the Rams, the fan base was just yelling, please bring Bobby back. I mean, it was it was horrifying to see him in Rams colors. So they brought him back on a one-year deal. Jordan Brooks, miraculously, after tearing his ACL in January, wow. was able to be a starter in week one. And then for depth purposes, they got Devin Bush and and T played reasonably well a reasonably high number of snaps, like I think 20 in, in week one, but um, he's probably not going to be like a major contributor or anything. So they, they made some significant moves along the defensive line. And and that was really where the bulk of the, the focus was because they were getting very little pass rush or no consistent pass rush, especially on in the interior. And then in the run defense, they were just not good at all. There, there were some good games, but their worst games were, were like historically bad. So for for Pete Carroll, he was obviously upset with the way that the defense went last year. Now we're reinventing the wheel again, but week one did not inspire a lot of confidence.
2: Yeah. So I, I want to focus a little bit more on the uh on the cornerback situation, Mookie, when when we're talking about Seattle's defense, because you know, there's somebody who didn't make their rookie debut in week one. Could make his rookie debut uh, in week two here against the Lions, and, and Lions fans are very familiar with his name, if you listen or follow Eric Schlitt on Twitter, for sure. Um, Devin Witherspoon, right? Like, all training camp, it seems like he's repping at, at the slot. How does Seattle secondary kind of move around to accommodate, you know, Devin Witherspoon?
3: Yeah, this is going to be interesting because Witherspoon missed all of preseason and a good chunk of training camp with a hamstring injury. And keep in mind, this is a separate hamstring injury, apparently, from what he had that made him not run in the combine. So he he, he would have been a Detroit line, apparently, if the Seahawks didn't take him based on, I think it was Albert Breer's Sports Illustrated column. Yeah. So yeah, D- Detroit would have gotten him at, at number six and, and they wanted to take him, but Seattle got him instead. And for as much as I just ragged on the pass rush for for struggling to, to pressure Matthew Stafford a lot, I think the performance of the secondary, especially from guys not named Rick Woollen, kind of explain why they took De- Devin Witherspoon at number five, even though they historically don't draft corners early. So he's been getting a lot of work in the slot, but I wouldn't be surprised if as he, as he eases into the season, he becomes the starting corner opposite uh, Rick Wollen. But for now, him in the slot could fix some things in the Seahawks defense because nickel has been a tough one for them to pin down. They had Kobe Bryant last year and he had several forced fumbles as a rookie. I think four in four weeks and one of them was against Detroit from what I remember, but outside of those forced fumbles, he was getting beat quite a bit and and the stats from Aaron Schatz's football almanac um, bear out that he he was probably the weak spot uh, among the Seahawks corners. So they moved Bryant to safety. So he's a safety slash backup nickel corner. But because Witherspoon didn't play in week one, he's back in the lineup as a nickel corner. And he he had some struggles there again. So I think that once Witherspoon returns, Bryant's, uh, and b- based on the fact that he's fully practiced on Wednesday and he probably practiced fully Thursday, he, he's going to make his debut this weekend. I would anticipate that Bryant is not going to be in the lineup very often and that they won't need to elevate Artie Burns from the practice squad either.
1: While we're on the, the Seahawks secondary and injured players coming back, um, Jamal Adams practiced, returned to practice this week. But from my understanding, he hadn't practiced for a while. So there's some question as to whether he makes his debut this week or maybe maybe next week. Do you, do you have a good read on that situation so far?
3: Yeah, from what Pete Carroll indicated, this is kind of a gradual process. So, yes, he's back from they elevated him from the, the, the PUP list in training camp. Um, so it's just a slow ramping him up back to full speed because Jordan Brooks might have been able to go off PUP and play week one, but quad injuries, if anybody's followed the NBA over the years and Victor Oladipo's story, I mean, quad injuries can absolutely wreck your career. So Adams had a lot more to get back from. And if he plays this week, I would be very surprised. I I think that if he does play at all, it'll be probably by the end of the month or maybe the first game after the bye week so that he is fully up to speed um, because Adams at his best, he, he provides that sort of extra pass rushing juice because he, his first year in Seattle, he had nine and a half sacks. And that was his calling card with New York is the fact that he can blitz the quarterbacks so well. And the Seahawks in, with, in the Legion Legion of Boom days, they weren't exactly willing to blitz Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas a lot. And part of that is because when they did do that, some bad things would happen. Um, but with Adams, they, that, that there's that versatility where he can be a safety. He can be kind of a hybrid linebacker sort of um, player, or he could play up on the line of scrimmage. And really, his big value, I think, would be the run defense. Um, if he can be a good run defender, get down get get down and dirty and do a, a lot of the, the little things that a lot of the, the corners have had difficulty with, he, there is some value there. My concern with Adams is that because he's had back-to-back years with torn labrums and now this, this rupture quad, where is he physically i mean it's great that he's he's back and he's practicing again but can he still be at his peak physical condition or anything close to what he was before these injuries um because if the answer is no this is kind of like a bob sanders thing all over again mm-hmm. where we don't remember him but well we remember what he was at his best but it once the injuries set in it, you, you can't recapture that form so if adams does return and he's anywhere close to his 2020 form then the Seahawks secondary should be in a better spot. It's so much like with Witherspoon returning. Again, it should be a better situation where there are fewer responsibilities for Mike Jackson and Trey Brown and others who might be capable rotation players, but not necessarily those difference makers, if I can use a cliche, uh, not necessarily those difference makers on the on the defensive uh, side of the ball.
2: Yeah, and Mookie, I mean, you got to think that if you get Adams back, if you, if you get Witherspoon out there, their run defense improves dramatically um, even though they had a pretty good week last week against the Rams
3: mm-hmm. yeah and, and the run defense I think succeeding was partially at the expense of the past defense like they, they sold out to Southern Cam Akers had one of the weirdest stat lines ever I wonder what's the most carries anybody's had in a game to have that, that so few yards as he did He had 22 carries right. for 29 yards and, and a fourth and goal touchdown which shouldn't have counted evidently there was a False start that was uncalled, but uh, you're Lions fans. You know a thing or two about
2: uncalled. (laughs) (laughs) We can can laugh uh, about it. We can laugh about it, Mookie.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so the run defense looked better. They still gave up some annoying like four or five-yard gains that that should have been stopped sooner than that. But again, the the run defense showed some signs of competence last year and then against better rushing offenses that they just got absolutely destroyed. So the jury's still out there, but one of the the – High points for the run defense, I think, was Bobby Wagner because he got credited with eight run stops mm-hmm. out of his, what, 18 or 19 tackles. So even if Wagner is not the same sideline to sideline menace that he was several years back, um, he still provides value in run against the run. And I would say that the top two pass rushers on the team, Boye Mafé, who is pretty much replaced Gerald Taylor in the starting lineup, and Uchana Nwosu, they are both pretty good against the run. Mafé was a pleasant surprise because it's supposed to be more of a pass rusher than run defender. Whereas Nwosu, I think, is showing himself as a pretty good two-way player. And the Seahawks have had a hard time finding that pass rusher who can also defend the run. That's kind of been Taylor's issue and why he lost snaps last year is he can get sacks. I mean, he, he had nine last year as well, but he got benched for a game or two because he, he couldn't stop the run. So, yeah, yeah, the run defense, it still remains to be seen. I'm still a skeptic that this run defense will be any good on a week-to-week basis. But uh, of if I could find any silver linings from last Sunday's performance is that the run defense looked the part uh, of a unit that shouldn't be bottom five in, in yards per carry like it was last year.
1: Certainly seems like it's going to be a key matchup this week as, as the Lions obviously love to pound the rock quite a bit. Um, but but let's talk a little bit about the the pass defense, particularly um, pass rush. You, you touched on it a little bit here, but Taylor Decker, line starting left tackle, starting to trend towards maybe not playing this week. Has missed the first two practices of the week, uh, dealing with an ankle injury that Dan Campbell said early la- or at the end of last week that he seemed like he's he's optimistic about his play and is kind of slowly pulled away at that optimism as as this week has gone on. So are the seahawks capable of taking advantage of of something like this or is is Jared Goff going to be as comfortable as Matthew Stafford was last week they could
3: i'm not counting on it hmm. because that rams offensive line was significantly remade uh, alaric jackson at left tackle they had steve avila a, a rookie at left guard and then right guard joseph Noteboom was went from right tackle to right guard uh, so we saw the results matthew stafford i think was only hit twice Pressured like a handful of times, not sacked at all. Uh, I'd like to think that the Lions offensive line, even without Decker, you still have Vitae and Ragnow and and Sewell. So as long as you have the rest of those guys, I I would think that they can help out Decker's backup. And I don't know who who we would be, Um, but still, the Seahawks pass rush just has a lot of guys that can get you a sack here and there, but in terms of a dominant edge rusher, as much as I just praised Nwosu not too long ago, they really don't have that. If they had a Nick Bosa type uh, pass rusher, if they they had um, Asan Reddick, I would say, yeah, absolutely, it's it's open season on Jared Goff. But what I expect the Seahawks to do is is probably blitz a little more than they want to because they weren't a big blitzing team last year, and they probably won't be this year until Adams gets back. But they're probably going to have to send some extra pressure because they were trying to do anything possible to not blitz Stafford, but the four-man rush was doing absolutely nothing. Stafford had a lot of time. He was making some brilliant throws, whether he was pressured or not, but he, he just had too much time to, to be comfortable in the pocket. So, yeah, Decker being out would be a, a significant loss for the Lions for this weekend, but I, I think that for the Seahawks to take advantage, um, Nuwosu is probably going to have to line up there quite often and, and figure out a way to, to dominate the backup because otherwise – I expect more of the saying that Lions offensive line, just talent wise is better than what Seattle can provide on the defensive
1: line. All right. I think it's time, Ryan. I think we should get into it for the segment. We like to call the one thing we think we know where it's the prediction segment. Mookie, uh, it doesn't have to be the predict. You don't have to predict the game unless you want to, but it's predicting one thing you think is going to happen in this game. Um, something that, that based on the matchups, based on the, the personnel scheme, whatever, you're pretty sure is gonna happen on Sunday. Ryan and I like to go a little bit bold just to make it fun, but you can just you can I don't care how low hanging a fruit you you take here. Um but we're gonna start with Ryan as always because why not? I I'm I'm bully him into it every week and he's never said no. So Ryan, what's the one thing you think you know about Lion Seahawks? Thanks for giving me the floor, Mr. Bully. Uh
2: <laughs> here's the thing I think I The one thing I think I know about Lions Seahawks in week two, is it just me or does it seem absolutely wild that for two teams that combined for 93 points last season, the over under for this game is 47 and a half. Now I look at that number and I think I understand why, because the one thing I think I know is that we're going to get the under in this game. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game. Um, And honestly, like, in my mind, it would take one team to have a huge game and, and to kind of get that point total to, you know, hitting the over. So I, I'm going to say that the one thing I think I know is that this game, I feel like one team is going to take control. And if mm-hmm. one team takes control, I think they're going to want to play some ground and pound game that could run some clock. So
1: it's I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the under. Interesting. The Lions obviously scored 21 points last week. The, the Seahawks 13, but. Th- Seven of that twenty-one line scored was was defensive. So literally, combined twenty-seven points offensively between the two teams last week. I don't know. I, I think I'm expecting both units to to bounce back, but it's not my turn because we like to throw it to our guests next. Mookie, what is the one thing you think you know about Lions Seahawks?
3: Oh well, I think with both tackles out, well Cross isn't officially out, but I'm just going to assume he is. Yeah, I, I believe Aiden Hutchinson will get. If I put an imaginary over under one and a half sacks, I'm going to go over. I think you will get two sacks minimum against Geno Smith because what I anticipate is if the Lions jump out to an early lead, that's going to negate Seattle's ability to to try and establish any sort of consistent running game. And that's going to put Geno in a lot of obvious passing situations. So that gives Hutchinson and James Houston and those other guys their ability to, to pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. And while the Seahawks offensive line does tend to line up correctly, (laughs) Um, I I think that Hutchinson is just going to be a a big mismatch for whichever offensive lineman that he's lined up against. Even if they try and double team him, I think he's going to find a way to get multiple sacks in this one.
1: Mookie, you're doing what I told you not to do. You're trying to give us extra hope here and and just... <laughs> I, I mean, I was i was trying to figure out, what positive <laughs> thing can I go for the Seahawks? Darren Reed
3: manages to get the first sack of the season for the Seahawks, or Jared Goff manages to, to throw multiple interceptions or something. But it, it's such a hard... I, I thought that this would be a loss even before the season started. Mm. And then that Rams game happened, I thought, well should I pick Detroit and survivor just to do a jinx <laughs> myself out of the SB nation competition,
2: but also
1: <laughs> the, the tricky part for me is I think both teams run defenses are trying to prove that for they're for real, both of them put up pretty really de- decent numbers in week one. And I'm, I think I'm a little bit more confident that the lions run defenses for real than, than you are of the Seahawks. Um, but it's a big test for both because I think both teams can run the ball really well. And, and so I, The one thing I think I know about this game is that there will be a combined, let's say 50 rushing attempts between that doesn't seem bold enough. 55 rushing attempts between both teams. I think both teams are still going to try to really pound the rock, even though, you know, obviously Seattle had or the Rams had a lot of success against the the Seahawks last week and, and they did it over the middle of the field, which is something the Lions are very capable of doing. But that's not their identity, necessarily. It's not necessarily what they want to do. I think they want to be a physically intimidating team, and that's just that's their mindset. That's that's their mentality. And we'll see if, if the Seahawks run defenses for real. On the other side, we all know what Kenneth Walker can do. We all saw what he did in the first half last week. Can the Lions do what they did to, to Pacheco last week?
2: Can I put your feet to the fire? Yes. So I looked it up last year. And Lion Seahawks, 58
1: rushing attempts. Yeah. You can make me over under that. Yeah. I want you to go over under that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm really threading a needle here. I'm going to under it. So oh I'm saying between God. 55 and 58, but the, the only reason I'm saying that is because there was a crazy amount of offensive plays in that game and, and a 48 to 45 game. Everyone's getting all these plays and there sure. won't be. And, and the, the extra thing I we're, we're doing two things. I think I know every week, There is not going to be a play that's whistled dead on third and 16 that the Lions get a defensive stop followed by a Rashad Penny 41-yard run, mostly because Rashad Penny isn't on the team anymore. But that's not going to happen again. Yeah, I think it's time to shut this down. (laughs) Mookie, before we let you go, uh, tell the people where they can find you and and what sort of stuff they can expect over on fieldgoals.com.
3: Well, uh, you can find me on x slash twitter uh at Mookie alexander and then i also run the field goals account which is at field goals so if you want to troll me over there while i'm live blogging the game on sunday feel free to uh i cannot be hurt and then <laughs> uh, over on fieldgoals.com uh we'll, we'll have our own game previews and this video will actually be on on field goals as well so you'll, you'll get a little extra pu- publicity and then um if the seahawks do win Lions fans, you get to be on enemy reaction yet again. I think this would be five or six straight times, but we put you in there for a positive play, for a positive game last year against Green Bay. So we had you on for reacting to Seattle beating the Rams to knock you out of the playoffs, but we did a a joint party of Seattle and Detroit fans and everybody else, all Green Bay's rivals, when the Packers got eliminated. So we like like the Lions fans over at field goals, and and we've had good correspondence over the years. So (laughs) Um, up until Sunday, that is
1: right. I'm not. I'm still not sure what I feel about Seahawks fans celebrating that win, considering uh, what happened earlier in that day. A travesty in terms of officiating, I, I, I may add.
2: Yeah, and and just ultimately, right, comes back to the revenge game. Yeah. It comes full circle. Hopefully, it
3: is full circle because that was the game. The, the lion, the forty-eight, forty-five was the difference between Seattle being in the playoffs and 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 missing out uh, based on the tiebreaker. So. There you go. This this is the revenge game, and uh, Barry Sanders is supposed to have a statue unveiled, right? That's right on Saturday. Yeah. Oh man, Jameer Gibbs and and David Montgomery might be. <laughs> there you go. Well,
1: place to do something special. Extra thing we think we know. Two hundred <laughs> yards from Jameer Gibbs. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I will also say like the like the Seahawks cut me deep, and I again I mentioned this on the Pod Direct uh, newsletter. Uh, I was at the batted ball game, and so I will forever hate the Seahawks extra for that but we'll end it there Mookie as always you're awesome thank you so much for making some time uh good luck in week three and beyond uh and uh we'll see it will maybe we'll see in the playoffs this time
3: I hope I <laughs> you'll be in the playoffs <laughs>
1: that's what I like to hear all right thanks everybody for listening thanks to Ryan as always as well uh but we will see you guys after the game on Sunday here on twitch.tv slash Detroit until then it's chaos be kind